All right, church family, today we are in week three of this vision series. In our 65th year as a church family, we're inviting you to catch the vision of what God sees for our church for the next decade ahead. And as we go through this series, some of you I acknowledge are here for the first time today in week three, and it's perfect timing for you to join us in this significant day as we conclude this sermon series. But I invite you after the service to get caught up on the previous two sermons. You can go to our YouTube channel or even onto our website. Let's say if you go to YouTube, you can search for Bel Air Church. And in this vision series, we are having a paradigm shift. And it's not so much a paradigm shift as something new that we've discovered. In actual fact, this is a paradigm shift back to what has always been true. You know, in scripture, it says the word remember. So many times it outnumbers the word believe. Five times to one. In fact, the word remember outnumbers the word trust. Two to one. It seems like as, as people, we have a memory problem. And when we forget who we are, when we forget who God is, when we forget this life that, that God invites us into, when we forget those things, we can embrace other narratives, other worldviews, other truths. And because of that, we forget our identity, our purpose, and what it means for us to be the church. Again, this vision series can be encapsulated in the phrase, church at work. And this paradigm shift is a return back to what has always been true, what is actually biblical, that church is so much more than just an hour on Sunday, so much more than just a physical location, so much more than just a worship service that we might gather together in. But scripture says that we are the church when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so in that first week, it was a reminder that as the church, as people, it is this invitation to step out and to be known. It is an invitation to step out and be defined by the reality of who Jesus is. And it's an invitation to step out and to participate with Jesus in the work that Jesus is longing to do right here and right now in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth. And in the second week, as we dove down deeper into this idea of being the church at work, it's a reminder that it's not just the staff, it's not just pastors, it's not just the elders or deacons, it's not for just a subset of the church to do this work, it's for all of us. And last week I talked about the difficulty of what it means for us to to participate in these things because we live in a society that is so good at outsourcing everything. And why would we ever choose to outsource this work when we've been resourced through the Holy Spirit? The work that I introduced last week, six things, six things that we're going to dive into deeper a week at a time beginning next week. These six things, again, you could easily outsource. You could easily see as somebody else's responsibility. You could maybe even look to another organization, a nonprofit, a homeless shelter. Uh, you might see that some of these things are just my job or, or a certain segment of the Christian church's job. But it is an invitation. I pray that you would catch this vision that is part of Bel Air Church, perhaps even more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus is inviting you to join Jesus in his work, to proclaim the gospel that saves, to further the flourishing of society, to maintain the life of worship, 
to cultivate the community of God, to preserve the truth that frees, and to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. So if that's what we're all called to do, and if that's what we in leadership want to equip you to do through both our physical campus and our digital campus, if that's the what, if that's the verb of work, what I want to do today is I want to talk about not just the what, but I want to talk about the where and the how. You see, the where is something we've forgotten. We can mistakenly think that this work that the church is called to do is only when we're together in a sanctuary. Uh, we might begin to think, okay, maybe I can, I can wrap my mind around me participating in each of these six things, but we might have a myopic view of the location in which we are called to do those things. And so today, as we dive into scripture, as we conclude this sermon series, what we're doing is we are stepping through a door into a future together, a future in which we all see ourselves as the church, a future in which we all see ourselves as people who are doing this work. And just as significantly, for all of us to step into this future together, seeing ourselves as the church doing this work in particular places that God has called us to throughout the week. You know, as we exist to equip you to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone, we're equipping you to be the church that follows Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. We exist as the leadership to equip you to do that particular work as you follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. It is those six things, those action steps that flow out of who you are in Christ. Remember, as I said last week, our doing for Jesus flows out of who we are. And our very being has been reconciled to God through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. We don't work to earn God's love. We don't work to, to earn a, a perfect record that God then invites us into. No, we receive that by faith. And we receive the grace that comes through Jesus alone as our Lord and Savior, as we become adopted into God's family, filled with the Spirit of God, we are now sent out into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus, witnesses to Jesus, ambassadors for Jesus, to do this work wherever we are called to. So again, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Again, if you were with us last week, we were reminded that the last place that Jesus spoke to his followers was in a town, a little village called Bethany. You've heard my heart express what seems to be Jesus' love for this place. It was only two miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hub of religious activity for the nation of Israel in the first century. Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem near the Mount of Olives. It was a two-mile journey. And it seemed to be the place that uh, Jesus found himself most at home. Though it was the place that those on the margins were sent to, lepers were sent to, we meet people like Simon and Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And even though in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry before his crucifixion, he went into Jerusalem during the day, he would retreat to Bethany at night. It seemed like he had space to reign, to rule, to be himself. He was the master of the house in Bethany. 
And as we learned last week, Bethany was the last place on earth that Jesus spoke to his disciples, of which I'm going to read right now, which you can hear about in Luke 24, 50 through 52, and Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through uh, 14. But also it reminds us that when Jesus comes back to earth to, to establish perfectly his reign and rule, to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth for all of eternity, to, to finish what he started, to finish the work that he has now entrusted us as the body of Christ, as the church to do, which we are doing right now. When he comes again, he's going to come back to Bethany. But I want you to hear what he says from Bethany and where he calls his followers to go. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 8, and let's go uh, through 14 today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they entered this city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. Together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. As we say every week, thanks be to God. Okay, so here, here's Jesus. He's in Bethany, the last place that he speaks on planet Earth. And he says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be what? My witnesses. That is what Jesus calls us to do. A lot of different definitions for witnesses. What does it mean? Well, we want to be very specific here at Ballard Church. To be a witness for Jesus means that you, I, we proclaim the gospel that saves. We further the flourishing of society. We maintain the life of worship. We cultivate the community of God. We preserve the truth that frees. And we demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. When we individually and collectively grow in these areas through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we stop outsourcing those things, just a, a few people on staff to just ordain pastors to certain nonprofits, when we stop outsourcing and we realize that we have been resourced by Jesus the Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we realize that we have everything we need. We have all the power in the world. We will get the wisdom. We will get the patience. We will get the words. We will get the posture of our hearts in order to do the work that Jesus calls us to do. That is the vision that God has for us as a church. For me, in our seventh year as a senior pastor, for all of us in our 65th year as the church here in Los Angeles is expanding its influence throughout the city and to the ends of the earth. That is the call of God on our lives. And I pray that you would catch that vision. 
But today I want to talk about where Jesus is calling us to do the what. Where we are called to be witnesses. Where we are called to do each of those six things. And I want you to hear this because Jesus, again, he is speaking from Bethany to his followers. And he says, of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you'll be my witnesses where? Not just in Bethany. Not just right here. Not just where you've been. Not just where it's been a place where I've dwelt in. But I'm going to send you into the very place that seemed like Jesus never felt himself at home. I'm going to send you into Jerusalem, he says to them. And I'm going to have you start there in the centerpiece of the hub of all this religious activity. And I want you to be my witness there. I want you to be a Bethany people in a Jerusalem world. But you're not going to stop there. Because it's going to be in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. To live in this New Testament reality that we live in today. That is historically after this moment is a reminder that the context in which God is calling us to be the church, the church at work, is not only here, but it's to the ends of the earth. Whatever time zone you are in in this moment, whatever zip code you are in in this moment, Whatever context you find yourself in, in this moment, I pray that you would catch the vision that God is calling you to be part of the church there. And this isn't a new thing in the New Testament. In fact, we see that this starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. Again, what we are called to do is to be witnesses to Jesus. What we are called to do are each of those six things. And I want to to help us uh, catch a vision. It is a paradigm shift for some of us who have maybe forgotten the call of God's on our life. We've forgotten the vision that God has of where we are called to do this type of work. And if this is a paradigm shift for you, I pray that you would allow yourself to come back to God's heart, that you would come back to a biblical revelation for the vastness and the glory and the splendor of this life that Jesus invites you into. It's not just when we're here together. It's not just an hour on Sunday. Jesus longs for your entire life to be the context in which you can be the church at work. I want to show you some things to to give you a theology of the where, the context in which Jesus and God the Father, and God the Spirit call us into. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Would you you go with me back to Genesis chapter 1? And in Genesis chapter 1, we get this, this remarkable, beautiful, lofty language as the writer of Genesis, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us a window into the beginning of all things. God is uncreated. God has existed eternally as God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The the Hebrew word for God is the word Elohim. It is a plural word. And yet at the same time, we worship a God who is one. The Shema in Deuteronomy, Shema Israel, Adonai, Eroheinu, Adonai, Had Hero, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this word Elohim, this community of one that is God, creates all things. 
And we know in Hebrews 1, we know in Colossians 1, we know in John 1 that the Son of God or the Word of God is the, the means through which God creates all things. And we get to this remarkable moment in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God, that's a plural word, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And God said, let us, hear the plurality of that? Not let me, let us create humankind, another plural word. It's a, it's a word of community. Let us create humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them, male and female, God created them. God blessed them and God said to them, this is verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now we must understand God's heart and what God means to create humanity in God's image. The only thing in God's creation that has that distinction no sunset, no sunrise, no starfish, no mountain, no sky is created in the image of God. Only you and I have that distinction. Made in the image of God. We were made to reflect God's image. We were also made for each other. We were made for a relationship with God, with, with each other, with creation and with ourselves. And you can distort, you can misuse, you can misunderstand this passage and hear the word subdue and think that it is our task to just uh, make the world our own and to subdue it and to, to beat it into submission and to exploit it for our selfish gain. That's not God's heart at all. In fact, I want to show you what it says in Genesis 2, uh, another angle at that same creation moment. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the ha-adamah. In the English language, we translate it into the man. It's better translated as from the earth creature. That is a, a sermon for another day. But it says that God took this ha-adam and put that one in the garden of Eden. Ready for this? To till it and keep it. Some translations say to work it, to watch over it. Some translations say to cultivate it and care for it. These two Hebrew words of habda and somra give us this beautiful picture of God's original intent, ready for this? For our work and our worship to be fully integrated. In fact, God's original vision for God's creation was one in which we as humanity would fully worship God in our work and we would work for God in our worship. It was the only place in the Hebrew scriptures, again, where work and worship was fully integrated and it was this invitation, it was actually this command, it was the original intent of God 
for God's people to work and watch over creation, to cultivate and care for. In fact, that word cultivate, eventually in the English language, is the word we get the word culture from. And God's vision for us as people made in the image of God is that we would take the raw potential of God's creation and we would work it, we would cultivate it, we would make something out of it while watching over it, caring for it, keeping it for the flourishing of others and for the glory of God. And the context in which God called the first humans into was the garden, the Garden of Eden. And the record throughout all of Scripture is God inviting God's people into a particular place to fully integrate. The longing is to fully integrate our work and our worship for God's glory like it was done in the garden. But we know the story of what happens in the garden. Those first humans, they were disobedient to God at a tree. They were given every tree to eat from, the tree of life, so they could experience all of eternity in this integration of work and worship that the work of their hands would be free from toil. It would be free from sorrow. It would be free from a bottom line. It would be free from exploiting others. It would be free from being the means through which they would make a name for themselves. It was the perfect integration of all that God desired. And yet there was one tree that they were not supposed to touch, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were tempted by God's enemy. The enemy went after their memory. Did God really say? And they, and, they, and they chose their way rather than God's way. And there was a consequence of that. And for the first time, work wasn't introduced. But the labor, the toil, the pain that comes from work was brought in as a consequence do you know that it is God's longing that we would be people that take the raw potential of God's creation and make something out of it for the flourishing of others and the glory of God? And ever since then, when uh, paradise was lost, when shalom was lost, when the full integration of work and worship was lost, we have seen the dire, the drastic, the, the, sometimes the demonic, the, the, the absolute deadly consequences of when work and worship are divorced, when they're ripped apart. And we see all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we see it in our workplaces, we see it personally, we see it on the television screen, we see it throughout history. It is something that we've been personally affected by. A world that now exists where work and worship have been separated. And as a result, we come to this moment and we aren't used to, we haven't practiced, and in some cases we haven't even been aware of God's vision of work and worship being integrated. And so what do we do? We come to worship and we check our work at the door. We come to worship trying to forget about this week and the reports, and the markets, and the job interviews, and the setbacks. We try not to get distracted by all the work and the emails that we have. And in many ways, 
God has invited us not to put that at bay, but to bring our work into the context of our worship so that we can actually have a conversation with God about our work. What we need to be as a church is like a heart that beats. Systolic, diastolic, that contracts and rests, that contracts and rests. And that cardiac cycle of contraction and rest, as you know, pumps blood and oxygen into your heart and out through your heart to your body. And a heart that doesn't contract and relax. A body that doesn't have the experience of blood flowing out and coming into the heart is a body that ultimately dies. In the vision that I'm asking you to catch, it's not my vision. We believe this is God's vision for us as a church, is that we would be a people that gather together and worship. And we would go out into a world and worship. That we would gather as workers in all of our different industries, in all of our different professions, as students, as people who are raising up the next generation, as we have people in uh, positions of leadership, we have people in entry-level jobs, we have people who've worked in traditional professions, we have people who are working in groundbreaking new industries. The remarkable truth of who we are as a church family is that we work in every single industry, and this is an opportunity for you to catch the vision that God is inviting you to integrate the work and worship of your life in. To see this opportunity that God casts a vision for both Adam and Eve to work and watch over, to cultivate and care for, to, to, to till and to keep whatever context you've been called into. You see, God calls Adam and Eve into a garden. He called Abram into the land of Canaan. He called Noah into an ark. He called uh, Joseph. Remember Joseph. Uh, he called Joseph into the Pharaoh's presence. He called Moses back out of the wilderness in Egypt into the Pharaoh's presence. But then he calls him out in the wilderness. He calls Joshua and the nation of Israel into the promised land. He calls Esther into the presence of the king. He calls Daniel uh, uh, before the, Nebuchadnezzar. You think about all these moments that God calls all of God's people into. The context, the where, the environment is to the ends of the earth. And we need to move away from this incorrect, unbiblical paradigm that the context alone in which we can work in is only in the sanctuary. When God's earth is God's sanctuary. Yes, we cannot forsake the meeting together. That is the heart that gathers in. But as we gather in, as we bring our fullness of our week before God, as we learn to to be formed by God's perspective. As we learn to see our work through the lens of God's redeeming and renewing work in all of creation. As we see our work in whatever industry we're in as being something that is a vocation, a very high calling that God calls us into. When we come together with our prayers for our workplace, when we come with confessions of where we've gotten off track of God's heart in our areas of work, 
when we have tremendous gratitude for God, when we bring our work into our worship, what we are doing is we are beginning to see that all of life is an opportunity to worship, but how much we need that gathered worship together. Again, a heart can't just send blood out. It needs to bring it in. We have to be gathered in and we have to be sent back out. And to be a people that follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone is to gather not just on Sundays, but to be scattered as the church Monday through Saturday. And this remarkable opportunity to catch the vision that you don't have to be an ordained pastor. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be an usher to do the work of God. I remember many years ago as a college student hearing Oz Guinness preach. I was up at Forest Home. If you're familiar with Forest Home, it was this remarkable place. If you've heard of Henrietta Mears and Billy Graham, uh, storied experiences. In fact, uh, a huge part of the foundation of our church actually has its origins all the way back to Forest Home. And I went to this thing that they had at Forest Home for college students just after I became a believer. Uh, It was called College Briefing. And Oz Guinness said that every single follower of Jesus has a primary call on their life to follow Jesus. And when we say yes to that call, when we say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we receive out of that primary calling our identity. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We now have a purpose in life. And he says, and I'll never forget this. And he says, that primary calling will never change. Jesus will never stop calling you to himself. He will never stop calling you to be a follower of him. And when you say yes to that calling, you are sealed through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus won't let you go. As it says in Philippians 1, 6, the God who began a work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, but every single one of you has a secondary calling. That as you live out that primary calling of following Jesus, that secondary calling is to follow Jesus in a particular place with a particular group of people in a particular way. He said, that is your vocation. That could be as a student. That could be as a single mother. That could be as a neighbor. That could be as a nanny. It could be as a CEO. It could be as a consultant. It could last for a week. It could last for a lifetime. But every single one of us, as followers of Jesus, have a primary call and a secondary call. He says, this is where things can get distorted if we're not careful. What we can do is we can mistakenly forget that it is a primary call that gives us our identity and our worth, and we begin to swap the two. And we can begin to think that our vocation The work that we do is our primary identity. He says, this isn't just a problem for pastors and worship leaders. This is a problem for athletes whose entire identity can be wrapped up in their playing time. This can be a problem for CEOs whose entire identity can be wrapped up in their position of leadership. This can be so distorted even for people who just have a job when they lose their job and their identity is shaken. He says, no, no, we can never forget that our identity, 
our strength, our joy, our peace, our purpose comes from our primary identity, our primary calling, a call to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. And out of the overflow of that, we are called to a particular place with a particular group of people in a particular way. So when I think about my journey, I've been following Jesus for 21 years. As Jesus called me to follow him, he has called me to different uh, places and people and ways. Without giving my whole resume, uh, he called me to be a student at the University of Southern California. Called me to answer phones at Glen Oaks Escrow in Glendale, California. Called me to be a host and then a waiter at Houston's restaurant in Pasadena, California. Called me to be a student at Fuller Theological Seminary. Called me to be an interim high school director at Bel Air Church. Called me to be a high school pastor at Calvary Community Church. Called me to be a pastor of discipleship at Calvary Community Church. Called me to be a senior pastor here at Bel Air Church, but has also called me to be a husband, a father, a son, a friend, a neighbor. And it would be incorrect for me to think that it is only in those pastoral jobs that I was called to do God's work. It would be incorrect and it would be myopic for me to think that it is only in those moments that I could integrate my work and my worship. In actual fact, and in my immaturity, I missed out on opportunities as a waiter, as a receptionist, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a son, husband, and father. I've missed out on a moments of catching the vision of how work and worship can be fully integrated. You're going to hear in the next few weeks and months and years, and I pray decades, of a paradigm shift, a paradigm shift that I believe isn't into something new, undiscovered. No, 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 it is a return to God's heart. Again, Jesus, wherever he went, he said, repent, change your mind, and turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That inbreaking of the kingdom of God is a vision of God's reign and rule being experienced, whatever the context is. And so you had someone like Matthew, a tax collector, who was despised by Israelites because he had sold out his, his heritage uh, to the Roman Empire. Think about how much his work was transformed when he began to see his work as a tax collector through the lens of primarily being called to follow Jesus. This is his invitation for you as a banker, as a baker, as a, a teacher, as a timeshare seller, whatever industry you are in. This is the context that God has called you into. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what time zone you're in. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you are within the org chart. That is the place that God has called you to. He didn't call you to the Garden of Eden. He didn't call you to an ark. He didn't call you to Canaan. He didn't call you to the Babylonian or the Roman Empire. He called you there. And it is in that place that God is calling you to be a Bethany P. 
people on that board you sit on, in that third grade that you were going through, in that university that you just got accepted to in the fall, in that volunteer opportunity, within your apartment complex, in that organization that you just started helping out in, whatever it might be, that is the location. That is the place with a group of people. And Jesus is longing you to follow Jesus in a particular way in that place. And we as a church want to equip you to be the church every day and everywhere with everyone as you follow Jesus. A church at work. Again, the verb of work, the doing that we were talking about, which we will get into great detail in the coming weeks. Just to reiterate, I cannot remind all of ourselves enough that we are called to proclaim the gospel that saves, to further the flourishing of society, to maintain the life of worship, to cultivate the community of God, to uh, preserve the truth that frees, and to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven in our places of work. Now, you're going to have to find your own style. You're going to have to find the way, and we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. We want to resource you in this through both our physical campus and our digital campus to be people that see a call of God on their lives, who choose not to outsource that work, who realize that they've been resourced with the power of the Spirit, who do so together when we gather as that heart draws that blood in, that oxygen in, that life in, but also as we are sent out into our weeks. And I want to talk about right now how we're going to do that. Again, the what are those six things. The where is wherever God has called you. Again, whatever time zone, whatever context, whatever vocation, whatever workplace, Whatever geographical situation you find yourselves in, that is where God is calling you to be the church at work. Well, how do we do that? First and foremost, we don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it trying to imitate or emulate Jesus Christ. We do so entirely from beginning to end through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus says in Bethany to his followers in Bethany, wait. Wait, because I'm going to empower you from on high. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you do the work. Can you be witnesses? Can you do these things wherever you are? So how we do it is through a constant reminder that we can do all things, as it says in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things, but only through Christ who strengthens us. Remember, the Apostle Paul says that I can, do, I can do nothing, but it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Remember, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me. Listen to my words. Remain in my truth. Did you know that Jesus, you could say it this way, you could say it many ways, but for the time we have right now, uh, fulfilled three roles, three functions. Jesus was humanity's prophet. Jesus was humanity's priest. And Jesus was humanity's king. And we who have been called by Jesus, 
who have been adopted into God's family, who are now part of the body of Christ, who are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, with Jesus as our great prophet and priest and king, have a prophetic calling, a priestly calling, and a royal calling. Wherever God has called us to. With Jesus being our ultimate prophet, it is in Jesus that we find truth revealed. We see truth embodied in the person of Jesus. And we have a prophetic calling in our places of work to reveal truth, to embody truth, and to speak the truth. This is an invitation for you to see the context in which you work in as being the very context in which you have a prophetic calling. Don't outsource that. You've been resourced through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're called to speak truth in love. We're called to embody truth with our lives. I'm going to get into great detail in a few weeks about what it means for us to be a people who are about preserving the truth that frees. But wherever we go into our places of work, and this is what the world needs. This is how God wants to revive and renew, not only our places of work and our neighborhoods, but also our city and this globe. Until Jesus returns again to complete this work, he wants us to step into our prophetic calling. But second, we are called to step into our priestly calling. Again, Scripture says that Jesus is our high priest. Because of that, we have a mediator. We can go directly to God our Father through Jesus Christ. We have in Jesus a high priest who intercedes on our behalf, who dispenses grace to us in ways that we don't even come close to deserving. And because Jesus is our high priest, Scripture says that you and I, we are part of what Scripture calls the royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. You know what that means? You are a priest if you've said yes to Jesus. And as you think about it this way, every priest has a parish, a locality, a geographical location that they've been called into in service to Jesus as a high priest, to intercede on behalf of those around them, to be a dispenser of grace in ways that people don't deserve, in ways that ultimately come from Jesus as our high priest. Imagine if you caught the vision of your priestly calling in your boardroom, on set, in your classroom, Imagine if you stepped into that, you saw that you actually have been called by Jesus, you've been ordained by Jesus, you've been commissioned by Jesus, you've been empowered through the Holy Spirit into your place of influence, into your place of work, for you to intercede for your workplace, for you to step into that and to be in prayer for the culture, to be in prayer for the values to be in prayer for your colleagues, to be in prayer for your boss, to be in prayer for your employees, to be in prayer for the extras, to be in prayer for the back office and the front office, to be priests interceding in ways that are in alignment and how Jesus intercedes for all of us. What a vision for you to catch. And that's why it's so important why we gather 
to be formed as priests, to be reminded of this high calling, to be reminded of our primary calling to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone so that we are sent out in our places of work, not to make a name for ourselves, not to climb the corporate ladder, not to win awards so that we can feel good, not to make a reputation for ourselves, but to worship God, to give him glory, to take the raw potential of that workplace, to live out what it means to be the image of God, to work, to watch over, to cultivate, to care for, to keep and to till the very thing that God has entrusted us to do for the flourishing of others and for the glory of God. And finally, it's a royal calling. You are the king's kids. You've been adopted into God's family. And Jesus, as our king of kings, is one who uses his power for the flourishing of others. We find in the kingship of Jesus perfect integrity, perfect holiness, perfect love, perfect justice. And as members of God's family, as the community of God, as ambassadors for Christ, we are called to use whatever we've been entrusted in for the sake of others, for God's glory, that we would be people of integrity, of service, that we would be peacemakers, that we would exhibit biblical justice in ways that are in alignment with the heart of God. That is what the world needs right now for us to step in to each of these callings. That is how we get to go into the where to do the what of the church at work. Now I invite you to go to, to belair.org forward slash vision to find out more about this vision that we have to equip you to be the church, the church at work. Also there, you're going to see how we are inviting everyone as part of our church family, whether our physical campus, our digital campus is the main way in which you engage with us to help us uh, remove some obstacles, to help us resource this vision in three areas. We've got three major projects to pay down some of our long-term debt, to reinvest in our physical campus, and also to expand and enlarge our digital campus. All the information is at belair.org forward slash vision. But right now in this moment, I pray that you would receive this prayer, this commissioning to be the church at work. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would resource every single person that is hearing my voice, that they would be able to see that their place of work, whether at home, in an office, in a field, with large groups of people, or alone, that that is the place in which you have called them into. May they see the high calling that you've resourced them in. May they long to integrate their work and worship and worship and work. May they step into this life that you long for them to live. May we find our model in you. May we find our strength in you, Jesus. We thank you that you invite us to be a Bethany people in this world. Give us a vision for that. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.